0: Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, people of all ages, welcome back to the Sticky Flores podcast. I am one of your hosts, CJ. I am joined by Mr. Will, and uh, tonight, man, we got, a, we got a real, real good movie to break down. We're going to be talking about 2005's V for Vendetta, and uh, this is a movie that's been out for a long time, so... We're gonna go in with a lot of details. If you haven't seen it, you really should, because um, this is one that's got a lot of really good information in it, a lot of good scenes, and we're gonna definitely get into that. Um, just for those who have never seen it before, a quick breakdown of um, what the movie is about. I just, uh, I, I swagger jacked this from uh, IMBD. <laughs> but uh, they basically say that uh, in a future British dystopian society, a shadowy freedom fighter, known only by the alias of V, plots to overthrow the tyrannical government with the help of a young woman. And so that—that's the, <laughs> the description of this movie, and it's a pretty good one. But, um, Mr. Will, let's get into this, man. So, V for Vendetta. Um, what are what were your initial thoughts? Well, what do you thought? What do you think about this movie? Like, what are some of the inspirations for it uh, that you noticed and picked up on?
1: Well, well, first of all, I like that we're running with the overall theme of not only politics and thriller and suspense, but this is also another comic book inspired movie. Mm, so I like that uh, I like that aspect of things. Uh, uh, CJ commented to, to those that uh, watch us listen to us on a on a reoccurring basis. Uh, CJ mentioned that I tend to favor uh, movies that are based upon, uh, ensemble casts, and also are non-linear in the traditional sense of storytelling, um, and also and, th-
0: and also about gangsterism,
1: <laughs> and don't, and this told touches- me about not about the gangsterism part. <laughs> well, this checks off a lot of boxes then for me because uh, one, uh, it is very it uses it uses violence in a in a very uh, constructive way. I believe. Uh, to tell the story and to push the narrative forward. And that is, uh, to paraphrase Malcolm X, by any means necessary, this dude is going to get his. Um, And he also says, uh, without saying such, that anybody can get these hands. So uh, he doesn't discriminate uh, as far as uh, sex, gender, uh, nationality, you name it, this guy, he he takes on everyone and anyone.
0: Yeah, if he's about that life, man,
1: he he's yeah, a he he's is. a revolutionary for all ages. Yeah, so I, I definitely like that. I but chief amongst the things that I that's not necessarily cake. So I don't want the listeners to think that that's where we're headed right now. But I just want to say that I like um, the overall theme of this, which is uh, about uh, what it truly means to be active in one society, uh, one's. Uh, uh, whether it be your, your local municipality, uh, your, your, your school or your job, whatever it is that you're involved in, what that, uh, participation, what that truly means. Are you an active individual or are you one who's on the sidelines, uh, just cheering? Like, what is your role and how do you define your role? Yeah, definitely. I mean,
0: this is, this is a movie, um, you know, it came out in 2005 and, Mm You know, we talked about this in pre-production. There's so much that was happening in the world in 2005, right? So, you know, in America, um, this is a couple years after September 11th, Mm -hmm. right? And there was this, for the first time in many people's lives at that time, there was this idea that America could be attacked, Mm -hmm. right? And there were these things that were created in those years that many people read as the beginning of America becoming a totalitarian regime, which okay. is what you're seeing in this movie. So like, remember that was when the Patriot, Patriot Act came out and there were questions about privacy and about the government's ability to monitor your actions and movements in in real life as well as on the internet. Um, there was the creation of the terror scale. You know, we talked about this before. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who may not know, there used to be, um, a scale, a color coded scale, and it would be like yellow, orange, red. And it would talk about kind of the, the terror risk for that day for the country based on information that, um, Like NSA and like different security organizations or parts of the government had gathered. And literally in America, people were, your anxiety level was dictated by what the terror, what the threat level was for that day. So it might be like, hey, it's, you know, it's yellow, so you're good. You're probably going to be alive next week. If they were like, yo, it's red, yo. You ain't gonna be around. Spend all the money in your bank account. Like literally, that. It was it was so crazy, and we didn't. You know, we grew up in that. Like we were we were you know young adults in the time of that world, and this movie kind of shows you what happens after that, right? Because there's a there is a as a you know it's like I said it's totalitarian regime in this movie that kind that kind of takes place. After a major, um, after like a major unsettling event that happens, like in this, in the narrative of this story, which is uh,
1: pretty dope. The way that CJ has, uh, uh, given you a glimpse as far as what some of the background information on this story is. Um, Alan Moore and David Lloyd are the two, uh, individuals responsible for the book. And the book before it came to DC was on a British imprint. So then, uh, comic book that is. Um, so then, once it came to DC, obviously there were some changes to the themes and flows and some of the uh, particulars. For example, um, a lot of the uh, things that got swapped out are um, one, the theme of margaret thatcher and thatcherism being uh uh, at the forefront of things a lot of british centric uh ideas of uh fascism uh imperialism they got swapped out for neoconservatism and liberalism uh uniquely to the american experience so that contrast and comparison between um essentially uh uh I guess now they're more of like the roles have been switched from master to apprentice and vice versa, where uh, obviously the United States was a colony of the uh, British, and now all of a sudden uh, the United States has become, after World War One, the uh, police of the entire globe. Um, but again, uh, a lot of the things that tie in that what CJ was talking about was the Homeland Security Advisory System, which yep. uh, came into play. I want to say around March of, uh, 2002. Uh, so that's like, like CJ said, you know, that's a little bit over a year. i want to say, uh, what, 16 months, um, after, uh, nine eleven. Um, but going back to the, uh, uh, the inspiration of it all is this book came out, I want to say around like 82, 83. Uh, that's 1982, 1983 for our younger listeners. Um, uh you still had these reoccurring Orwinian themes part of uh Animal House themes, uh, 1982 yep. themes of, you know, uh totalitarianism, uh uh dystopian Mad Max type of uh end of the world, uh total destruction and the hedonism that these uh, conservatives were fearful of. But that also harkens back to um you're talking about the Roaring Twenties coming out of the Victorian age, at least in this in this country, where the Jazz Age tied into now a freedom of expression and the fearfulness. So you'll have things of where uh, marijuana becomes illegal, cocaine, which was in Coca-Cola, becomes illegal. Um, you have Freudian uh, theories being spread, Darwinism being spread, uh, movies like The Gate uh, that are now movies, uh, The Great Gatsby, which... Uh, Fitzgerald, Scott Fitzgerald wrote. Uh, oh, yeah, these I plays. Like that yeah, 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 so you, so you have these these things that have always been present, but now they come to a head, um, which makes this even more of like a historical lesson in fast forward mode. You get a little bit of everything. Um, you know, you you start to see Guy Fawkes mask, which uh, in the uh, Occupy New York uh, era, you know, you had individuals walking around with this mask, and the uh, um, uh, computer and, hackers, and, white hats of, uh, um, uh, oh man, of anonymous. Where, yeah. Anonymous
0: know, uses that now. Yeah. They yeah. use that. That's the master they use. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you, yeah. you, you have that theme of individuals being greater than just an individual person. You have a group of people who, um, speak to a, a movement and saying that the, the dream or the, the, the progression of this uh, this ideology is bigger than just one person. So if you happen to kill the so-called leader of the movement, the movement doesn't die with that individual.
0: Yeah. And I mean, those, those ideas and themes, it would be remiss of us to not mention organizations like uh, the Black Panthers, mm-hmm. uh, yep. SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, RAM, yep. Revolutionary Action Movement, organizations in America that were at one point in time taking very revolutionary standards and stances against the tide that the government American government was taking and really espousing a lot of the ideology that gets espoused in a movie like this um, and really captured a lot of that really effectively so there's a, there's a lot there's just so many inspirations for this movie and then like you said I mean, the anonymous hacker group to this day still uses the Guy Falk mask as its uh its its logo, if you will. And I mean this this movie and, and one of the things you have to say is like, okay, so we talked about how it's based on the graphic novel. The Wachowski brothers get that at the time they're coming out of the Matrix movies, right? Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. were also telling a story about revolution. Yep. You know, the revolution of. People against machines, right? Mm-hmm. Um and this is before they did another thing, um, Cloud Atlas, which mm-hmm. I saw, which I really, I really dug Cloud Atlas. And then they did the Matrix Resurrections, which I have to say, I'm not a fan. <laughs> I, was not, I was not a fan of it at all. Yo, I I I'm not, I'm, I don't even want to get off on that track. But you know, the Wachowskis were on fire. My point is that they were on fire. They were coming out of the Matrix movies. It was like, yo their geniuses give them the shot. Mm -hmm. And that's actually what drove me to come and go watch this movie because I didn't even know about the V for Vendetta graphic novel. All I knew was, okay, Wachowskis are doing something. I really liked the matrix. I thought this would be good. Mm -hmm. And I was, and it was there, it was like that. There's um, there's something else though that we talked about in terms of inspirations for this. And I don't want us to miss it and that you were talking about Hurricane Katrina part. So, yeah, just just bring that up, because that's that's an important part to all of this, too, in 2005.
1: Yeah. So in the pre-production meeting, uh, CJ and I were talking about uh, what was actually going on. Like, just speaking to the timeline. And one of the key events in this country was the uh, Hurricane Katrina, um, not only the hurricane itself, but also the aftermath of what happened uh, to the folks who lived in that region. Um, and immediately what comes to mind to me is after the levees broke, people became displaced and you had a lot of individuals who were not in the position to either relocate or even just get to safety, um, within like, uh, you know, whatever the radius may have been from their home, the proximity. So you would see these, uh, depictions, and, and typically it was of uh, lower income black people, either in uh, just uh, a decrepit state. Um, and obviously, so, I mean, if uh, raging waters thrusted upon your home and destroyed everything you had within a matter of seconds um, and you have uh, no car, very limited funds. I mean, I'm pretty sure you would be uh, distraught and um, not in your best uh, light as well but you had these individuals where cnn fox and other media outlets would depict these individuals as refugees even going so far as saying that they were refugees and mm-hmm. what CNN, mm-hmm. I remember do mm-hmm. was uh you know you have these people who are citizens they were born here raised here went to school here worked here ate shopped here just like you and i and literally um they were trying to be outsourced like like work or like product. Um, so they were dehumanized in that aspect, but also marginalized in the aspect of being called a refugee. And I don't know yeah. about you, but um, you, the listener, it's that if I lay claim to something and then all of a sudden something unbeknownst to me happens and I'm pretty much powerless and I seek help from fellow citizens or my neighbors or other people that are going through similar circumstances in their day-to-day routine, and now I'm being labeled something that I'm not. Um, It's almost like kicking a man when he's down, you know, insult to injury.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that whole scenario around Hurricane Katrina. So you got to remember, like, at that point, coming out of September 11th, 2001, a lot of people would say, those next two years afterward or two or three years were maybe some of the most unified that America had had mm. in a long time because for the first time, there was an explicit enemy that was outside of the country, right. And that mm. was like al- al-Qaeda. Remember and it was al Qaeda and then it was Afghanistan, and then it became Iraq. and yeah. then it was Saddam Hussein. And of course, that that's a whole that's a whole different type of podcast to get into all those points. But one of the things that's really significant about that is that event of how American citizens were handled during Hurricane Katrina was the beginning of the thought that the American government at that time and the Bush administration in particular did not care about its people. And were willing to sacrifice. Right. Right. George Bush doesn't care about Black people. Right. That's where, right. Kanye got, that was, and everybody remembers that. That's one of the greatest... Shout out to Mike Myers. One of the greatest pieces of television is Mike Myers sitting there when Kanye West says that. And then they (laughs) flip to Chris Tucker. And Chris Tucker looks like, why did y'all put the camera on me when he said that? (laughs) It was amazing. And, you know, you brought up, like, CNN. Another incredible piece of of footage was Anderson Cooper having a meltdown in front Mm. of the Superdome because remember the thing was the bush administration and fema couldn't or wasn't moving fast enough to get mm-hmm. aid to the people and all which all trailers made, which, right which which made people think for the fir- uh, some people for the first time some people thought this regardless that wow this government doesn't really care about us right mm-hmm. and so when this movie comes along in 2005 it's like it's already dealing with the ideas of an amer of a country that cares about being in power more than it cares about its people, and mm-hmm. so it sets a foundation that if you were growing up, if you were watching these movies in that time, you're already along. You're already bought into the journey as mm-hmm. soon as the movie starts. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. So let, let's so let's let's get into the movie because it's got it's got incredible things. Um, so one of the things that we talked about this, but this movie also has a very clear intersection between government law enforcement and media mm-hmm. so the you know people talk all the time about the idea of the corporate media or the government sanctioned media this movie leans into that a 100% definitely and and obviously like btn uh, i think was what's it called um um what does the b stand for <laughs> btn i don't even remember what it stood for but btn is is like obviously like fox news like that was mm-hmm. the point of what it was supposed to be like. And it was just so many obvious connections to things that were seen in the world at that time. It was just amazing. Um, That, I mean, this movie also has some amazing uh, quotes that are a part of it. You know, we talked about some of these um, like artists use words to cover lies and politicians use lies Mm. to cover the truth, you know, or, um, Governments, people should govern. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Like just these little nuggets that were being dropped in. Um, I know you. I know you had a couple that you wanted to talk about too. And I know you wanted to talk about the names and how the names of the characters were important.
1: Yeah. So we were talking about um, BTN real quick, um, which is really weird because the mouth is uh, the division of the Norsefire government. So, okay. you know, just that alone in itself, the the Norse mythology tying into uh, Nazism and the folklore behind that. And then if you peruse a, a little bit uh, further into the uh, catalog of uh, what was going on during World War II, you would realize that there was mysticism involved in some of Hitler's uh, uh, political stances and that they honestly believed. and this is this might sound a little off track but they believed in another world another universe being tied into individuals traveling from the center of the universe and then um uh using uh well I don't I don't let's just say uh intimacy. the tesseract <laughs> using the t- they want to
0: use the, they want to use the tesseract to get to the other, get to the I'm, other trying, universe.
1: <laughs> I'm trying to be um, delicate when i say these things and be diplomatic but they would use intimacy magic uh in order to try and bring about some of this uh cultism uh uh uh, this uh fatalism um this uh just worshiping of uh, very abstract sources so you'll have individuals like uh alistair crawley um Mm -hmm. and a lot of these other uh so-called uh psychics uh tuning into this this uh, wealth of uh, mythology um, for lack of a better phrase. Um, but nonetheless, BTN um, which is uh, stands for the British television network it, that's is, what it uh, is
0: British television network. thank you.
1: Yeah, which also tied into the Norse fire television. Um, so like those are the differences in between the uh, uh, the graphic novel or the comic book series which then became a graphic novel, which was basically just tying all the individual uh, volume, uh, 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 yeah, I guess you could call them volumes, but the different um, comic book uh, uh, into one uh, big source where you could just have it readily available. Um, but some of the names besides the Norse fire and British television that I, I, I really found uh, interesting are you have V who takes on this... Uh, this uh initial which if you recognize most things are recognized in this country uh with a symbol so you have the wu-tang w which is synonymous mm-hmm. um so you you don't necessarily have to say the Wu or whatever have you You just know their their insignia um you have the rockefeller chain i'm speaking right now just to music but there's also other things such as the so-called mermaid for starbucks you have uh the apple Apple icon right so a lot of things even just with teams sports teams like you can recognize um a lot of the individual sport teams either by their colors or by their Star, yeah so you know a lot of these things they speak volumes because they draw upon different comparisons and they evoke certain emotions you know if i say to you um you know like for example the dallas cowboys um some of the things that'll come up is quote unquote America's team or mm-hmm. the open uh stadium so that god can watch uh his favorite teams uh, supposedly yep. um yep. and just a lot of other things that evoke these type of clichés and emotions that individuals can draw from in basically to summarize that uh uh, uh a picture is worth a thousand words um then you have the guy falk mask which we talked about um and speaking to uh The gunpowder plot and the insurrections that were transpiring uh, during the 1600s, their attempt to, his attempt rather, to blow up the House of Lords, which ties into the movie, where they're trying to do away with uh, via explosions. Um, Not only is it uh, grasping the attention of the audience, but also of the downtrodden individuals, citizens and desians within uh, England, uh, specifically London. Um, You have um uh, the characters um and this is where we get a little bit more uh intricate um you have ev hand hammond hammond um so automatically hammond you think of hammer and bringing down the point or bludgeoning or hammering the point home ev ties into eve which is the first woman and this is eve uh this is v's protege um also ev um she has two e's two I's. The V also ties into V for Vendetta for his initial. Um, Then you have, uh, uh, like I said, the uh, or rather, CJ mentioned the bishop. Um, You know that whole Catholicism where uh, Guy Fawkes he was a Catholic. He uh, he would, if you recall um, your uh, school education in uh, social studies, history class, whatever they called it in your region of of the of the neck of the woods. Um, you have this, this character of Guy Fawkes, who was a historical being. Um, he was literally, a, a con- he converted to Catholicism, uh, fought for Spain, came into England, brought about some of the, uh, or wanted to bring about some of the changes and tried to bring about this insurrection. And he was sentenced to be hung, quartered, no, drawn and quartered. Now, when you hear that, you don't necessarily know what that means. Well, not to be too graphic. Being drawn and quartered literally is being pulled apart by horses until your uh, extrem your your extremities are, pl- are pulled apart. And that also includes your head. So your arms, your legs, your head, your torso ripped in half and then literally cut into bits. And in England during that period, your head would be put on a spike uh, either on the wall. So London Bridge falling down, Humpty Dumpty side on a wall, all these things tie into that. So when you're talking about these nursery rhymes... That speaks to that to that age of the sixteen hundreds. But going back to some of the names as well of the cast members and shout out to Hugo Weaving, um, who during that run, I mean, he was part of every uh major franchise. So like CJ mentioned, you're talking about the Matrix, you're speaking of Lord of the Rings, uh, you're talking about um He wasn't that. I forgot yeah, about that. He yeah, he wasn't those so, And no. then eventually Marvel, which would have liked to seen him come back as uh Red skull, but you know, he just didn't want to do it anymore. Um, actually, he didn't even like uh depicting that character, which I found very weird. But um, then you have the uh, chief inspector Eric Finch, Finch being a bird, migrating, uh, discovering from one area to another. Um, in this case, uh, inspector that literally talks about being a party member for 20 years, so you have that 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 discussion of uh being quote unquote Mm -hmm. loyal to something. For two decades, which sounds more impressive than just saying 20 years. And then in turn, um, he has a change of heart. New evidence is brought to light. Um, he's looking at his fellow party members <laughs> in a very uh, distrusting way. And they too are looking at him in that same way, especially in that scene where uh, uh, Sutler says to him, you know, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, you'd be best to try and figure this out. Or there will be some changes, meaning like he's going to be killed. Um, And then you have Mr. Greedy. You know, his name is Creedy, but I call him Greedy. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Basically saying the same thing like, hey, you know, how long have you been a member? And now you can't do this. And now this is going Mm. on. And coincidentally, you happen to be the one that was doing all this at the time that these things were going on. Basically causing a cloud of uh, suspicion to be thrust upon him. And everyone is so uh, keenly aware that, you know, the streets is watching, um, yeah, in every sense of the word. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. They,
0: yeah. It's yeah, just,
1: yeah. It's just very interesting how these names, uh, help to hammer home the point of, um, you know, there's distrust, but with good reason, um, cause you're, you're evoking, uh, this fear in individuals on a constant basis.
0: Yeah, it's interesting about the movie too. Like the one of the things that I, I really I noticed this time watching it was the movie tells the backstory mm-hmm. through the detective work of the cops. Yep. So the cop the, the cops Finch and his partner going and doing the, the, the detective work on all these different people tells the backstory of the movie without just going to flashbacks. Mm-hmm. It makes it. It's just a really smooth way of how they did that. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of lot of really dope stuff in this. And let us jump into that. Let's jump into the cake. Um, I'm gonna I'm just gonna rapid fire some of these. Um, yeah, yo, know, there's a couple of things that are, just a couple of things that I really liked about this. So one, yo, shout outs to Commander Prothero's bathroom. Yo, the bathroom. <laughs> yo, this dude yo, this dude's shower. Yo, this dude has got a shower with three TVs in it. And he's got the rainfall, the rainfall like nozzle for the shower. Yo, I know he gets killed in it, but man, that's like the greatest supervillain shower of all time. Like, if I were, if I were like a a ex military person turned television personality, and I was evil, that's the kind of shower I would have. Shout out to that shower. I just, I just loved that scene, man. Um, yo, you talked about it with V. V's commitment to his mission, you know, you got to, you got to respect that. Um, The scene for me, one of my favorite scenes is where V kills the coroner Mm. um, who is now a coroner, but used to run the facility that V was at Mm -hmm. and the smoothest joint, just the one thing that's really smooth is like how he's in the shadows and she's like, are you there? And he just kind of steps out of the shadow. It's very Batman-esque, right? (laughs) And then at the end where she asks like, you know, are you going to kill me? And he's like, I killed you 10 minutes ago. That's <laughs> cold-blooded, like, that I just, that's a great scene. That, cold that's just, bloody. I love, I love that joint. Um, Yo, Natalie Portman's breakdown scene after she got tortured by V for God knows how long. I just thought that was great. Like, it, it was just like, she was like, wait, wait, this was all you, you've been tortured, me like this. And mm. I mean, cause he's waterboarding her, you know, like, cut her hair off everything like
1: she, which speaks to having... like a gi jane moment too why is that too yeah. uh aliens with ripley anytime a uh female leading character gets a head shaved it sparks some type because that was a major thing back when this movie came out Natalie portman no, got her head shaved So like, no
0: she actually said you shaved all my hair off <laughs> like, she, <laughs> like she doesn't even say she doesn't even say you waterboarded me which yeah. is much more serious but I just I just love that scene, just the way that Natalie Portman really gets into that uh, The acting of that scene is beautiful. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this from the cake. I like how they draw this very interesting parallel between the character of Gordon and V and mm-hmm. they do it by like having both of them kind of make Evie the same kind of breakfast, mm-hmm. the uh, the bread with the egg in it. But I think like what's interesting is that the movie in doing that, the movie kind of shows you how there's variations of this idea of what it means to fight against the system. Right. (laughs) And Gordon is essentially a half measure because although he's willing to look out for Evie, he's still very much supported by and paid by the same regime that Evie knows kidnapped and disappeared her parents you know what i'm saying and and v while v has some of those same you know secret rooms and all these like different parts of memorabilia v is like the real revolutionary who's willing to tear the whole system down in order to change it so i thought it was a interesting course sort of parallel that they drew there with that one Um, and then just real quick i like that they never showed v's face i thought that was a really great move in the movie and i love the ending i love that he doesn't make it to the end um hopefully no spoilers on that well what, <laughs> <laughs> what you got what you I got what you got for some of the cake
1: well i wasn't really big um as an enthusiast on the shower screen but it did evoke mem uh 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 images of commercials from delta and kohler so shout out to them um because of the raindrops the uh 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 ebony uh onyx uh background in the uh, shower and such so shout out Mm -hmm. to them i I, so i guess the tie-in would be i definitely love the cinematography um and the different cameras uh uh, setups and images that were portrayed um as always i like the cast um shout out to like i said hugo weaving as cj touched upon natalie portman john hurt um i definitely believe uh, uh kudos to stephen ray for playing uh the Inspector, uh, Inspector Finch. Um, I also like the characters of uh, uh, Mr. Creedy, who I call Greedy. Um, he just reminds me of a, of a pig, I don't know, for some reason, with like uh, a <laughs> tusk <laughs> coming out. So would that be a warthog? I don't know. Um, it is a warthog. That's exactly I, what it is. <laughs> I also like the fact of the reoccur- reoccurring themes of uh, uh, patriotism that borders on the cusp of jingoism and um, I I like the aspect of uh, this dystopian society that emerges from um, a uh, nuclear strike, an ongoing war, um, Mm -hmm. the U.S. in a sense being humbled, um, because usually in these movies, it doesn't talk about the role of the U.S. So say, for instance, like Mad Max or uh, Terminator, or, you know, where you have these uh, societies that basically are brought into ruin. But in this case, uh, the there's a, a commentary in which I forget the character who does it. He says, you know, and I think it might've been, uh, CJ's homeboy, um, yeah, it's him who, talking about
0: America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where he
1: says, you know, you know, you were basically the darlings of the, uh, of the entire globe. You had it all. And now all of a sudden you have nothing, um, famine, uh, pestilence, you know, basically the four horsemen, uh, has, uh, wrought destruction upon the, the U S. Um, I like the aspect of uh, Eric Finch going on this journey and eventually looking at his fellow party members. um, And shout out to uh, Eddie Marson, uh, who played uh, Mr. Etheridge. Um, You have these individuals now looking at each other with such contempt, fear, loathing, um, as they discover, uh, and as you, the viewer, discovers, rather, um, all of the atrocities that they committed. I mean, literally, it's evil genius, uh, one of our fellow friends and I to have this uh this commentary where it's evil genius when these individuals not only create the means and the mechanisms of destruction but they also have the cure which harkens to in World War One and Two where you have individuals who make the bombs and the bandages simultaneously so they control the narrative of yeah we we are the doomsdayers, um, but we are also the ones who are the uh, so-called uh uh. Florence Nightingales who are bringing about which is she was an ironic character herself um so just that whole aspect are my my favorites or my cakes rather that I, I really dug
0: yeah and I, I think like that that part about the storyline the part of the storyline about the virus so yeah. there's this thing where there's a virus that happens and people get so afraid of contracting the virus that they elect Sutler and his party mm-hmm. and then they release the vaccine that they already had in place mm-hmm. to deal with the deal with the virus that they created
1: and they become rich by doing that so it's like a yep. double-edged sword and the sacrificial lambs pawns are actually that the youth so the yeah. more impressionable ones which kind of harkens me back to uh, my uh, opening discussion about uh 1942 hitler the rise of nazism world war ii ending um you, you see similar parallels with that um the contamination of the water supply um and then also them shutting down the various subway systems which v uses to bring about their downfall and sparking the revolution and uh, causing yeah. those to come about and one last thing that i'd be uh, neglectful if i didn't mention uh I like the fact that it was the young girl who, as is the case in most things, is the voice of reason. It's always the youth. So she would say, which is funny to me this term, bollocks every time there was something that they didn't agree with or they knew was suspicious or or was just a real suspect. And she is wearing the Guy Fawkes mask and she's tagging up a wall with the V for Vendetta sign. And all of a sudden you see one of the fingermen. He comes and he shoots her. And then all of a sudden the crowd that witnessed this, that that was the straw that broke the camel's back for them. And they literally stomped this guy into wine. Um, and they basically do away with his body um, with Wait, such ease and effortless. Well, I mean, <laughs> grapes, Italy, Europe. <laughs> <laughs> they stopped
0: him into wine. Y'all have never heard
1: that Blood red.
0: I got the metaphor. I was I've never heard someone I get stopped into one.
1: <laughs> this, is a a colorful, one co- right? this is a colorful uh, description nah, of a the good movie. One. But nonetheless, nah, that's good I, I definitely love that parallel where the innocence of youth, which also helped to spark the revolution, is a, a very central figure in itself. And she didn't have that yeah. many speaking lines either. Um, she's probably listed as girl with glasses, uh, for all I know, yeah. in the movie credits.
0: Yeah. So, all right. So, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, um, cake for this movie. Um, I don't really have a lot in terms of things that I didn't like, but I'm just gonna, there's two things that kind of just stuck with me and it's not, it's not the first one. These are both kind of nitpicky. So I'm saying that from the beginning. Um, (laughs) a lot of the, a lot of the movie is, I remember seeing this the very first time in the movie theater when Evie gets captured and you watch her get tortured you're watching it like, is V gonna come save her? Is she gonna escape? What's gonna happen? When you realize that it's an elaborate plot that V created in order to help her transition into someone who is unafraid, that really lands well the very first time you watch the movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Every time after that, the entire capture scene just doesn't resonate the same way. It's not a flaw with the movie itself, but it just, it's just like, that's an important part that you never get that same emotional vibration from, or at least I don't. So that would be one thing um, that I would say in terms of didn't like as much. Um, the other thing is like, I don't like that V domino scene where it's like, he lays out, you know, 74,000 dominoes to make, a, to make a V logo. And he looks at it and he's like, I'm V and this is my logo and, now, now, like, now I'm ready to go go out and do this. Like, okay, fine. I get it. Like I said, these are, that's that's it. Like, you know, I've, if, I've had a lot more for the movies, but that's the only things I didn't, um, I didn't <laughs> dig too much. What you got, man? <laughs>
1: yeah. I would kind of compare that to the traditional uh, hero pose or uh, hero landing. Uh, I hate when people do that in movies. I hate that. <laughs> I hate that. Uh, oh, man, that's funny. Uh, but some of the things, I guess, again, probably the same thing with CG. I'm probably nitpicking here. Um, One of the things I I definitely don't like is the death scene of V. Um, They're in the subway. She says to him, hey, we we can leave here together. And it's always the female who's like, yo, let's go. We can bounce. We don't have to do this. We've done enough. Let's go. And the guy is always like, no, I must finish it. And he willingly sacrifices himself like he wants to die. I I don't know. That Somehow that just doesn't resonate with me. Maybe it's because I like living and I, I'm accustomed to this thing called breathing. Um, but I, I wasn't a fan of that. Um, okay. He had the wherewithal to, and I'm piggybacking, he had the wherewithal to plan this for 20 years. So, for example, in that death scene, he has an iron chest plate. Um, and that helps to bring about fear, et cetera, et cetera. But he has an iron chest plate and he's managing to uh, hoard all of this uh, memorabilia and uh, um, all of these uh, things that have been deemed uh, uh, tra- taboo. Why couldn't he get some Kevlar? Why didn't he have body armor? Why if he's going to go all out Zorro, I mean, he could have elevated it to Batman and had like, you know, mesh and weaving. Even his ancestors had uh, chainmail. I didn't, I didn't understand that. Um, the other thing I wasn't too enthusiastic about is, um, I don't know, again, I'm nitpicking here. He's leaving roses for these individuals, um, and it just, I don't know, made me think of Kingpin, the the Daredevil, Michael Clark Duncan Kingpin, where he's dropping off these roses and stuff. I don't know. Maybe it's a comic book theme. I don't know. There's also Wilson Fisk's uh, son, who's known as Rose in the comic books. So I, I, I don't know. I didn't know what they were trying to go here for.
0: Well, I think that was that was because at the facility where he was at, they had those roses. Oh
1: no, I get that and, part. And
0: and the idea was like that was his way of kind of letting them, the people he was going after, subtly know it's that it me. Was him. It's me that, doing that, yeah, this to you. It's me from that facility. I'm coming, like 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 Deion Sanders. I'm coming. Doesn't we,
1: that we, sound? Isn't that kind of cliche though? Like the uh, villain telling you his master plan when he's almost like four fifths of the way completing his master plan. And then
0: oh gets, yeah. Yeah. It could, I, it
1: could definitely be that. Yeah. I don't know. I, and it just didn't sit right with me, but I dig it. Um, and I guess the, the last thing that I, I, I don't know that didn't hit home is with, with, uh, Gordon's character, um, towards the end, uh, this guy is, you know, he's, I guess he thinks he's, you know, revolutionary by showing up uh, Chancellor Suttler. Like, you know, the whole Benny Hill theme. But like, He was wrong with that one, man. Yeah, like, you didn't think that this dude wasn't going to play that? Like, he didn't get to power, you know, through force, and then all of a sudden forget how to enforce his power. Like, I don't know. He just thought he was going to get a fine. You're really that naive? Yeah, he Uh, underestimated Suttler, man. Yeah, it just he thought little... Suttler.
0: He thought Settler did diss tracks, and Sutler blows up your car. He didn't know who <laughs> he was. He didn't know who he was playing with. So he 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 learned that day because they hey, came in. You gonna learn the today? They, they came in. They gave him that housing authority beating in his house, and then they took him out of there. So did they? That was that was that. <laughs> but um, all right. So I got so I got some questions for you, man. Um. I got a, like a, most of these are kind of like just joking around. So I'm going to try to hit the real serious, the more serious ones. Um, all right. Um, well actually, you know what? I'm going to jump to the main thing, man. Where does V get the money for all of his deliveries, man? At the, <laughs> at the end of this movie, yo V sends a Guy Fawkes mask to every citizen in Britain, man. Like that's gotta be expensive. Like how, does he have a V credit card? Does the V stand for Visa? Like, well, I,
1: I thought he how, had an Amazon did, Prime uh, membership. Did, ah, you got jokes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't. I don't know how he pulled that one off. Um, I was also wondering. So there's a there's a there's okay. I want to spend some time with this one. All right. So there's someone when, when Evie gets kidnapped. Right. There's a whole story that happens that is a story between two lesbians that get captured by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. the government, and they both get killed by it, right? This movie comes out in 2005, mm-hmm. and this movie and that storyline predates the idea of, like, quote-unquote, a woke movie. My question, and I, I want you to just... I want to hear your thoughts on this one. If this movie comes out today with that scene, do you think... How do you think it's received
1: by general American population? Um, one, V is a hoarder, and he is running hit-and-run tactics, so that's why he's able to come up with all this loot. Um, I'm pretty sure that he has connections. Oh, you're going back to the first one? Okay. Oh, no, I'm tying it all together. So he's uh, he's uh, basically on his Robin Hood theory. Shout out to Gangstar. Um, and he's basically uh, hoarding all this money, robbing drug dealers. In this case, the drug dealers, the government. So then in turn, when they do capture the, the downtrodden, the, the, uh, it, those that they deemed, uh, untouchable. Um, so we are talking about people of different ethnicities, religions, sexuality, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that, um, the homosexuals, uh, they were an easy target, um, because they were, uh, very, uh, uh boisterous a la, you know, the gay pride uh, parades and such. So in turn, once they were seen as deviants, um, the government was able to hark in and step in and and basically take over. And you have that depiction of what it means to be an outcast, um, what it means to be dehumanized. And then in turn, V is able to use his experience because when he, he tells Evie, hey, yeah, she passed, I found those notes in the cell next to her. and th- She was in the cell next to me, then I found those notes, et cetera, et, yeah. et cetera. Um, I think he's able to use that, um, that emotional, like that last minute um, push for her to see like, this could happen to anyone for any particular reason. And I found you at your man, Gordon, who is also a homosexual. And you see how it all ties in. Like they could just take you in the middle of the night and you'd never be seen from... Like your mom and your dad, and your your brother was one of the kids who died at the uh, uh, viral uh, school. The excuse me, at the school where the virus was spread. So it all ties. It all comes home together.
0: Okay. So how do you do you think if this movie comes out in twenty twenty three, is it seen as a woke movie?
1: No, Um, because the themes are reoccurring, like we touched upon from. Animal Farm, 1982, um, you know, all these conspiracy theories, et cetera, et cetera. Remember, the book, the, the comic books came out in 82, 83. So, you know, it's a reoccurring theme. Do I, do maybe I'm reaching, you know, because of the so-called, quote-unquote, woke emphasis, but I would think that it wouldn't spark the, quote-unquote, controversy that uh, these themes, these terms do present day. Only because they're not forced down your throat. It's more like these are things that have happened and can happen again if we're not cautious. Yeah, I got you. I
0: got you. I hear that. So, have you? You've read the? Did you read? Have you ever read the graphic novel? Mm-hmm. In the graphic novel, does that whole storyline exist even in the even in the graphic novel?
1: Yeah, but it's more violent. Oh, oh, uh, so, so like V, he's not so charismatic and romantic about these things. Like he outright kills people. Like butchers them. Right. Um, uh, Evie goes through a similar metamorphosis. Um, but again, she gets left in the middle of the street by him and Gordon is not gay. So they actually have a romantic scene, Gordon and Evie. So that's why like certain things are okay
0: are changed around. Certain things are changed, yeah. yeah. But but there's still like that storyline yeah. of the two lesbians. Okay. Right. Yeah, so okay. Yeah, but that's interesting Okay. Yeah, no, that's 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 interesting. Like so I like what you said there about the idea of That part, the character of Gordon and the two lesbians, how that's all kind of put together into a a cycle, if you will, of what happens. Okay, cool. I got that. Um, All right. Any questions you got from the movie?
1: Um, I want to say my main question is, what's the black version of this movie? (laughs) (laughs) The black version. Yo, all right. So I was
0: thinking about this when you asked the question um, the first time. I think the closest thing to a movie version of this is um, The Spook Who Sat By The Door, which is a movie that was made by Sam Greenlee off the book that was also made by Sam Greenlee, mm-hmm. The Spook Who Sat By The Door, which I highly recommend both of them. It really, The book is great. The movie is really good because it's made by the same guy, so he knew exactly what to capture. Um, but the way that that book and the movie ends is much more open-ended. mm mm-hmm because, um, you know, spoiler alert, it becomes a story of um, an American revolution. And it's it's led by someone who learns all of these techniques from the FBI of how the FBI destabilizes governments and he uses that to try to destabilize the American government. And he forms organizations across the country that help to do that. And it's interesting because, like, that's essentially what V is doing in this movie as well. But this movie, v for, v for Vendetta puts a bow on it. Like, they mm-hmm. kind of tie the story up in a way that the spook who sat by the door doesn't. So I would say the spook who sat by the door is what originally comes to, initially comes to my mind as a the quote-unquote black version. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So, um, yo, let's do the boxes of popcorn on this bad boy here. Um, yo, I really dig this movie, man. I'm giving it four and a half boxes of popcorn, man, out of a possible five. Mm. Which what
1: what you giving it, man? Oh man, it's straight classic, dude. I'm going five boxes. This is five boxes. A, okay. Premium.
0: Yeah. 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 No, this is good, man. It's a good movie. It's uh one that I would highly recommend. Um if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth watching. A lot of the themes are relevant today. Yeah. You know, like a lot of the things that we're talking about. It mm-hmm. was relevant in 2005. it's relevant in 2023. Yes, sir. So um it's it's definitely one to check out. Um, all right, so then in terms of like the the meaning behind the movie, um, I would just say that to me this movie is about power mm-hmm. and it's about how power has the ability to define reality. Mm. So in this movie, and we t- I touched on it in the beginning, you have this intersection of the government with corporate media and the intersection allows the government to shape the perception of reality via the media. So the media defines based on what the government wants, what is news, mm. who is a terrorist, who is a patriot, who, what is justice, what is a vaccine, all these things get to be defined by that. And the people are controlled by their def, the definition of power. What V does, and I think you brought it up earlier, the idea of symbols. And mm-hmm. the idea of destroying certain symbols. And, and there's a great scene where he breaks it down and says like, yeah, if I blow up that building, it's a building, but the building is a symbol of something. And if the building can be destroyed, then the idea that supported that building can be destroyed. Mm. And I think this movie is about how do people get broken out of the malaise that they're in to rediscover their power and to then create a different world for themselves. Because in the beginning of the movie, every time they show the citizens of, of Britain, they're at home watching TV. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the movie, everybody's out in the streets. So they're participating in real activism. They're not at home, they're right. not on a cell phone, they're not on an iPad, they're not doing like a sign-in sheet thing for you know a campaign, mm-hmm. they're actually active in the streets. Yeah, As a way to try to change things. And in that, they are changing the power dynamic. So I think this movie is about power. It's about how power is maintained by elites. And then how people can disrupt and reorganize the idea of power by becoming active.
1: Mm, I dig it. Powerful words. Thank you. I, I would think that for me, this movie is about freedom. So whether that be in the form of freedom of expression, freedom of who you love, freedom to do as you choose, uh, you have that capsulated by the various characters, but none more so than V himself, where he describes himself as going on this crusade for 20 years, two decades. So that shows a level of commitment. Um, he had the freedom of choice. He could have devoted his energies to anything else. Yet he chose deliberately to not only seek revenge, yes, that's very shallow, but to become a living symbol that would uh, give the hope to the masses and a willingness to seek out not only their own freedoms, but the freedoms for others who weren't able to defend themselves and to speak up. Uh, You have the ghost, if you will, of uh, the messages that V kept that Natalie Portman's character Evie would read and became inspired by. You have V going on his opening monologue in which he uses, which very adeptly, um, all of the letter Vs. So just that alliteration. I had to look up some of those words, to be honest with you, and I actually consider myself Mm -hmm. very loquacious. Um, Then you also, uh, chief amongst them, um, the choice of V literally spending time to put down dominoes I don't, I really want to know where did he get all those dope red and black dominoes from and the patience and well, the force? He stole them. He stole Yo, them from people. <laughs> dude, where did you it get part of those from? Part of his Robin Hood joint. Yeah. But the fact that he was able to also, like he says, to dig out uh, the subway system train and put all of that confiscated uh, 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 dynamite C4 together mm-hmm. so meticulously like, man, he was really a man of principle. Um, And he expressed that through his freedom of choice. And he even went out on his own terms. So freedom being the key theme in this month of elections and us talking about a lot of political uh, uh, movies, um, I want to segue to one of the movies that I have chosen. And that's how um, we choose to play the game. And that movie is The State of Play. The state of play.
0: All right. So there it is, man. Will's thrown the gauntlet. I'm sorry, Mr. Will has thrown the gauntlet down. <laughs> so the next episode, we will be covering state of play. Um, once again, the Sticky Floors podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. Please like, subscribe, and comment. Your comments help us to do this better. Take it easy and peace.